Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we have been talking about generalized algebraic data types for a while, which um, are a language feature that give you a lot, lot of benefits and a lot of really cool stuff you can do with them uh, that people think of as being the sort of thing you can do with dependent types. And in fact, having kind of gone through and reconsidered some of this for purposes of talking with you about it, um, it's got me sort of thinking, you know, like, so there's so much you can do with GADTs. So why do you really need dependent types? And, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to go and take a look, you know, the kind of place to look at this um, to see some other people's thought on it, I think would be something like Richard Eisenberg's thesis or maybe some of the papers that he and Stephanie Wark have written together about dependent Haskell. Um, and, but as I understand it, and this was um, Stephanie's idea at least some time ago, was that this sort of interesting point that you don't necessarily need the Curry-Howard isomorphism to have a dependently typed programming language. Now, this is kind of, I mean, this is a pretty interesting observation in the sort of design space of these languages um, that, you know, because we think back uh, to chapter three of the Iowa Type Theory Commute about the Curry-Howard isomorphism. Um, we are, <coughs> you know, in that, in, with the Curry-Howard isomorphism, we're identifying proofs and programs, and that imposes a really strong requirement on programs that they are uniformly terminating. They need to terminate on all inputs, because otherwise they're not sound as proofs. Okay, so um, that's a really, you know, major, major addition to your language to try to enforce termination of all programs. I mean, for starters, it has the bad consequence that your language isn't turning complete anymore. Some people, you know, think that's a good thing to have in a programming language. Uh, it's no, it's no longer a general programming language. It's something more restricted and more specialized, and that that could be a big problem. Uh, and it also there might just be times when you're just like, I just don't want to have to deal with termination. I don't really care if this function terminates or not, uh, because I don't intend to use it as a proof. So I don't really want the Curry-Howard isomorphism for this or that function I'm writing or you know part of activity that I'm doing. Uh, so. It's this pretty nice observation that dependent types don't actually, you know, need to go hand in hand with the Curry-Howard isomorphism. You can have a programming language where types can contain program expressions uh, and functions. You know, you can have functions that take in an argument and return something whose type depends on the value that was given. You know, for that argument, uh, you don't necessarily need the Curry-Howard isomorphism to program that way. And my understanding, which is um, pretty pretty minimal, of dependent Haskell is that it's sort of ex pursuing that direction. That they're not attempting, at least for the moment, to employ the Curry-Howard isomorphism to identify, presumably it would have to be for a language like Haskell, some fragment of the language as a proof language, you know, as, as logically sound. They're not trying to do that. They're just trying to let types contain program expressions. And why are they trying to do that? Well, that's a good question. And I, again, I, I don't know too well as, as far as their own personal, you know, or professional motivations, why they, why they want to do that, I'm saying. But, um, you know, what's, what's their reasoning for it, I'm saying. But uh, I can reconstruct some, I think, pretty good arguments why that would make sense. Uh, one thing, particularly in the case of Haskell, 
that I've understood and I've heard other people say is that partly because Hosco is such a, such a successful research vehicle, there's a lot of different type features implemented in Haskell under this or that language extension. And it's it's kind of a complicated thing. There's sort of overlapping. Some you could do some things, some things you could do this way or that way with this or that um, language feature. So it it's it's kind of complicated. And uh, I believe one of the arguments is that dependent types would sort of cut out some of that stuff. That some of this some of these different features would all sort of be subsumed by having the full power of what what I've heard some people call full spectrum dependent typing. I I'm not crazy about that name, but um, just meaning program expressions can truly uh, appear in types. And, you know, the, the re return types of functions can depend on their arguments. So, uh, anyway, so simplifying the language design and certainly sometimes adding something more powerful, you might think it seems a little scary that it's going to make things more complicated, but actually a lot of times it can simplify things because sometimes your language design is getting complicated because you have weird bits and bobs trying to sort of, you know, sort of grasping towards this more powerful feature, but not quite prepared to bite the bullet and, and accept it. Um, and so you got, you know, this weird corner case and that scenario that's covered by this kind of different feature. And so it, it becomes a sort of kind of a messy approximation to the more powerful thing. And that that's arguably the situation in Haskell before, you know, prior to trying to add dependent types. Um, so, you know, that's... Uh, that's one case. I mean, so the other use scenario is what we've talked about with GADTs. There are a few specific situations where you are sort of hampered by the fact that you have to work with this index domain and you, you can't very conveniently express what you'd like to express. There, actually, the other point, the other criticism of GADTs, which I think is, is very valid, is that there's duplication. You know, you have, if you want to have natural number indices, well, remember, with, in the world of GADTs and, and indexed programming, but not true dependently type programming, you know, these indices come from a different syntactic category than program expressions. So if you want to index a type by natural numbers, you need to duplicate the natural number data type that you per perhaps already have as a program, you know, at the program level, and you now need to duplicate it at the index level. And then you have these singleton types that bridge between the program represent, you know, the program level data type and the, and the uh, index level data type. So, you know, that, that arguably is kind of yucky. And you having to, and the fact that you have to duplicate code across these levels, potentially. You know, I might, I might need an addition function on my indices, which now just kind of has to duplicate the addition function on my program expressions. And this singletons library that I've talked about a couple times now, and uh, yet another shout out to Ryan Scott because he helped me. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan, for figuring out how to do something with JTs. In fact, some code that I'll probably post on the Chapter 4 webpage um, uh, related to this programming with type representations that I was talking about last time. Uh, anyway, he helped me figure out how to do something in GHC that I couldn't figure out how to do myself, how to make something implicit using the type class system. And so it was easy peasy for him, but I, I was a little baffled. So <laughs> so thanks. Thanks for a true expert for helping out there. Um, but uh, anyway, so, you know, the Singletons library has this capability. You write functions and data types just at the program level, but then you use them, you know, through some use of template Haskell, they can actually generate 
the corresponding definitions at the index level and the corresponding singleton def declarations that bridge between the two levels. So, you know, that's trying to automate this kind of sort of yucky construction where you need to have three copies of NAT or something like this. Um, it's trying to automate the process, but I think by the, at least by the, at least by Ryan's admission, it's, uh, as a maintainer, I think, uh, you know, that it's kind of, uh, this is still kind of heavy duty and, you know, probably not as fun to do that sort of thing than just to program in regular old Haskell. Uh, so, so, and dependent types would eliminate that problem. So that, that's pretty compelling argument form, but you know, the, and now I, I feel that, and I'm sorry for not necessarily having a plan exactly. I just kind of talk about these things and sort of see how this all develops. But I think now it's fair to say that we're we're coming to the end of chapter four, talking about GADTs, and um, it's time to talk about something else. And I think um, so. Uh, I'm actually not quite sure. I was going to say sort of dependent types. Um, well, okay, maybe we'll say this is the wrap-up chapter of Chapter 4 so I can think about exactly what direction to go next. You can always give me a suggestion by email or something. Just email me if you have an idea of what you think um, we should consider next. But, uh, you know, so what's the difference um, with dependent types over GADTs um, from a language design perspective? Well, um, I mean, well, I guess that, the you know, the question is, are you going to use the Curry-Howard isomorphism or not? So I think... I, maybe the way I wanted to phrase this was, if we've gone so far as to have GADTs, where do, where do we go next? And Haskell, dependent Haskell is one answer. It's kind of like, let's cut out some of this tricky stuff about separate index and program domains and just unify them. But we're not going to try to take the Curry-Howard isomorphism on. It's just too, it has too much uh, complication for a language. And there's still too many research questions that are unclear. Uh, you know, in, in particular, how to combine, safely combine um, terminating, you know, statically terminating programming language with a general recursive programming language. Um, there's been some work definitely um, actually by Stephanie Warwick and her um, uh, doctoral students about this. But I, I think it's safe to say that, the, you know, probably the last word hasn't been, hasn't been said yet on that topic. Uh, so it's, you know, dangerous to commit you know, a, a major language like Haskell to, to some path that's, that's so, you know, still very immature, I think, as far as how you would do that. Um, but anyway, but if you're not in the world of Haskell, you're just kind of like, well, um, I might like to have a language for proofs. I mean, actually here at Iowa, we're developing a language called Sedil that does have a language of proofs and the Howard isomorphism um, does hold. Uh, so we... You know, so that's that's what you get kind of next from after GADTs. You could have dependency, but no termination properties, and hence you can't use the thing as a proof language. And and by the way, there's a big risk with dependent Haskell, and I've I've had some confirmation from talking to people that this is already happening. That people basically write dependently type programs and want to think that they're proofs because their types look like they're theorems. But the proofs aren't statically checked to be terminating. So, you know, you're kind of on thin ice to say they're a proof. And if there's a bug, your proof would not be sound. And those proofs can't be erased at runtime. And that's that's a huge difference, too. Um, if you're programming with you know, a language that has a Curry-Howard isomorphism, you know that, um, that proofs are going to terminate. And so if the only reason they're around is to show that some type is inhabited, and that's all they're there for, then you don't need to run them. Um, you can actually erase them. And Sedil does quite a bit of that. 
Um, so we erase quality proofs. Um, they're just there to convince the type checker that things are okay, but they're not needed at runtime. So, um, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's kind of where you can go next after GADTs. And somehow I hope that's going to suggest where I will go next in talking to you uh, on this podcast. Okay, that's it for now. Um, again, if you have some thoughts for me on where to go, I'm, I'm sure it'll come to me, but you can influence the path if you wish. So just hit me up. And uh, thanks for listening.